Hello and welcome to edition number 1988 of the Whitney Talking News that we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 23rd of November. I'm Peter Bean, editor of this edition, and beside me at the recording controls is Graham Diacon. Now this week we've got items from Whitney, Chipping Norton, Aston, Woodstock and many other places in our area about a Chipping Norton Lord, redevelopment of the Whitney Lees, plans for affordable houses and many more. Our four readers this evening are Jenny Wiley, Byron Russell, Marnie Lynch and when he comes, Adam Lethbridge. So, Jenny, let's have our first story, which is all about the redevelopment of the Lees, and Byron is carrying on because it's in two parts. Okay. Plans unveiled for the 700,000 redevelopment of Lees. Developers are hoping to get work underway on bold new plans to redevelop a recreation ground and turn it into a multi-activity hub after unveiling their proposals for the project. Courtside, the social enterprise behind the Coffee Shed and Premier Tennis have submitted a full planning application for the £700,000 development of their community cafe at the Lees Recreation Ground in Whitney. The project is backed by Whitney Town Council and funded with contributions from both the council as landowner and courtside as leaseholder alongside a government funding award of £649,000, which was, and this was secured earlier this year. The plans include a refurbishment of the community cafe with a new kitchen and increased indoor and outdoor seating, improved public access toilets and changing rooms, indoor activity space, redesigned skate park, four full-size tennis courts, mini tennis courts, covered paddle courts and a mix of other outdoor recreational facilities including netball, 3x3 basketball and table tennis. There will also be LED court lighting. The Town Council's maintenance depot will be moved to make way for a 22-space car park, which includes three disabled parking places and five EV charging points. The proposals also include the installation of cycle racks and new enhanced pedestrian walkways alongside landscaping improvements. Jeff Hunter, CEO of Courtside, said we are thrilled to have submitted plans for the development of our multi-activity hub on the Lees. Once complete, these exciting new facilities will help realise our mission of bringing people together and encouraging them to be active, serving as a base for connecting the community and encouraging physical and social well-being while protecting the Lees as a place of rest and recreation for future generations. Whitney Town Council is contributing £250,000 plus a further sum that had already been set aside for the regeneration of the skate park. Sharon Groth, Town Clerk and Chief Executive of Whitney Town Council, added, Whitney Town Council is pleased that the Lees Transformation Programme is a step further to its realisation thanks to Courtside's determination to ensure this multifaceted project meets planning obligations. The planning application, which has drawn five objections and six support comments, follows several council presentations, community meetings and a public consultation. If permission is granted, 
Courtside Hope Construction will begin in the new year. However, one close neighbour said the proposed access to the new car park along the existing footpath to the council depot was an accident waiting to happen. He wrote that the increase in vehicular traffic is a serious safety concern for pedestrians and young families using that part of the Lees recreation ground and should be scrapped. He went on, I have witnessed many near misses involving cars and small children at the Lees and this proposal is effectively an accident waiting to happen. A Buttercross Lane resident questioned whether a new pedestrian access route next to the Bowls Club will create a separate and safe access route for pedestrians, as the application states. They said, residents in the estate already have two safe pedestrian access routes without vehicle traffic. They are not going to walk away from the park and down to Station Lane to access a park that we have safe and easy access to already. They added that there would be no need for a new pedestrian access route if the plans were not fundamentally changing the number of vehicle movements and traffic to the site. Another objection comment said the proposed massive white paddle tennis court screen will be an eyesore and the floodlets will create significant nuisance light pollution that will massively affect housing nearby. However, supporters described the proposals as cool and great. One said... The cafe and associated recreation facilities are already a much-loved part of Whitney. The only problem with expanding the facilities is the difficulty with parking. The current parking at the top of the green is often full during the day, so it's good to see there are additional parking in the plans. And Molly, there's a new lord in Chippy Norton. There is. Lord Cameron of Chippy robes up to take seat. Foreign Secretary David Cameron has taken his seat in the House of Lords after his official introduction ceremony. The former Prime Minister will now be known as Lord Cameron of Chipping Norton, reflecting his long-held ties to the Cotswold town where he has a nearby home in his former constituency, Whitney. It was announced last week that he had been elevated to the Lords as a life peer to allow him to serve in Rishi Sunak's cabinet after he resigned as an MP in 2016. He previously sat in the Commons for 15 years, including five years as leader of the opposition and six years as Prime Minister. He was supported by Lord True, the leader of the House of Lords, and Baroness Williams of Trafford, the chief whip in the Lords. Each were nominated for their peerages by Lord Cameron himself, and Lady Williams had served as a minister in his government. Lord Cameron, 57, wore the traditional scarlet robes for the short ceremony as he swore the oath of allegiance to the king. The red benches of the upper chamber were more full than usual, with people also sitting on the stairs and on the step at the foot of the throne. 
Lord Cameron read the traditional oath. I, David, Lord Cameron of Chipping Norton, do swear by Almighty God that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King Charles, his heirs and successors, according to law. So help me God. Soon after walking out of the chamber to mark the end of his introduction, Lord Cameron returned to sit on the government front bench between Lord True and Lady Williams. Peers could be heard calling out to welcome him to the chamber as he arrived. But Lord Cameron's appointment to the upper chamber was not universally welcomed, with the Liberal Democrats writing to the Prime Minister's ethics adviser, urging him to launch an investigation into the new Foreign Secretary's appointment. Among her reasons for urging the investigation, Lib Dem Chief Whip Wendy Chamberlain cited Lord Cameron's past lobbying work for investment firm Greensill Capital, for which he privately lobbied ministers in an attempt to win access to an emergency coronavirus loan scheme. Ms Chamberlain said, We need urgent clarity over David Cameron's financial interests, which could lead to serious conflicts of interest while he represents the UK on the world stage. If he was serious about acting with integrity, Rishi Sunak would address these concerns by asking his ethics adviser to launch a full investigation into Cameron's appointment. David Cameron has serious questions to answer over whether he can act impartially in the best interests of the British people. His judgment and integrity have all been questioned in recent years, and for good reason. Parliamentary hopeful takes a planning role. The Liberal Democrat prospective parliamentary candidate to contest the Whitney seat at the next general election has joined the executive of the West Oxfordshire District Council. Councillor Charlie Maynard has become executive member for planning and sustaining development after Councillor Carl Rylett stepped down for personal reasons. Leader of the council, Andy Graham, thanked Mr Rylett for his service and said that he'd done a fantastic job. He said, I'd like to welcome Councillor Maynard to the executive and look forward to working with him on this key area of council delivery as we look to plan for the future for West Oxfordshire that takes into account our need for more affordable homes, tackling the climate emergency, providing support for communities and protecting our environment. Mr Maynard said that it was an honour to be taking on the role. He said, we've got an ambitious agenda around our plans for the future and I look forward to working with councillor colleagues and communities to bring these ambitions to life, creating a West Oxfordshire that is fit for the future. 
Mr Rylett will continue to represent Ensham and Cassington Ward and the new appointment was made at the executive meeting on Wednesday of last week. Pledge, <coughs> oh, excuse me. Pledge to deliver 274 affordable homes each year. Plans to boost the number of affordable homes being built in West Oxfordshire have been unveiled by the District Council. Through its housing register, West Oxfordshire District Council found that more than 2,000 households in the district are in need of affordable housing and has committed itself to delivering 274 affordable homes each year up until 2031. The council said it would strengthen its relationship with partners such as Oxfordshire County Council, Cotsway, Ox Place and Homes England, as well as seeking new relationships with other organisations. It will also recruit a specialist expert with Cotswold District Council to deliver homes in both districts. Councillor Jeff Saul said, Access to a comfortable and practical place to live is not a luxury, but rather a fundamental right. We know the national planning system simply isn't doing enough to match the scale of our ambitions, which is why we're teaming up with Cotswold District Council and other organisations to explore what we could possibly do, including building homes ourselves. The council said it would explore the possibility of developing its own affordable homes on council-owned land, offering more rental and shared ownership options. And the next item continues on the theme of affordable housing with the headline Sale Opens Door for 40 New Houses in Village. The sale of a five-acre Oxfordshire land site has opened the door for 40 new houses. The site's Cote Road location in Aston is five miles south of Whitney. Land specialist Terra was granted planning permission for the development in August for social housing provider Stonewater. Land and Development Director of Terra, Jordan Langdon-Bates, said, This deal marks the successful completion of this project's life cycle for Terra, but it is, of course, simply the first step towards making these new homes a reality for the West Oxfordshire community. We're pleased to be leaving this vital housing infrastructure project in the hands of Stonewater and Living Space, both of which have a fantastic track record in delivering high-quality, affordable homes in the areas in which they're most needed. Both partners approached this sale pragmatically and diligently, ensuring the construction of these new homes could get underway as swiftly as possible. Mr Langdon Bates previously said West Oxfordshire's traditional housing stock is considered largely unaffordable to those on lower income. The build contract for the development will be overseen by Terra's sister company, Living Space. Stonewater is a housing association formed by the merger of Raglan Housing and Jefferson Group in 2015. Drop charges at park and ride sites. A councillor is calling for parking to be made free over Christmas at park and ride sites. Conservative County Councillor Liam Walker, who is the Shadow Cabinet Member for Highway Management, said implementing free parking would support Oxford High Street shops 
and reduce congestion during the busy festive period by encouraging more people to use public transport. Mr Walker submitted a written question to Andrew Gant, the councillor in charge of highways, asking for him to remove the charges at the county council-owned transport hubs. Oxfordshire County Council is responsible for Water Eaton and Thornhill Park and Ride sites, while Pear Tree, Seacourt and Redbridge are the responsibility of Oxford City Council. Under the previous Conservative-led administration, Mr Walker was the Cabinet Member for Highways and lifted charges in December 2020 at Water Eaton and Thornhill and encouraged Oxford City Council to do the same. He said, I am again calling on the Cabinet Member to make things simple for visitors to Oxford this Christmas and ditch the parking charges at our P&R sites. When I was Cabinet Member, we did this, and it was successful, along with also getting the City Council to follow our example by removing charges at their sites. In 2022, he brought a motion to the Council calling for parking charges to be removed, which was voted down. He added, I have long campaigned and argued that making the park and ride sites free to park at will go a long way in helping to reduce congestion in Oxford and encourage more people to use public transport rather than parking in the city council-owned car parks. In response to the written question, Mr Gant replied, There are currently no plans to remove parking charges at either our or the city council's park and ride sites. I can confirm, though, that the discounted combined parking and bus ticket at the park and rides will remain. Oxford County Council, Oxford City Council, Oxford Bus Company and Stagecoach launched a combined ticket for Oxford's park and rides, which covers both parking and return bus travel to the city centre last October. Previously, users had to pay separately for both parking and bus travel. The councils have been offering the ticket at a reduced price of £4 for a car with only one adult or £5 for a car and two adults. With both options, the car can be parked for up to 16 hours and up to three children under 16 can travel for free. The deal represents a saving of 80 pence per person for an individual ticket and £2.60 for two people travelling together. In September, the deal was extended to April 2024 at all park and ride sites 
in and around Oxford. Now we're pleased to welcome Adam, who's now joined us, and you've got another road story, haven't you, Adam? I have, yes, and another topical one here about the uh, much-debated 20-mile-an-hour limit. And the headline is, A dozen new 20-mile-an-hour limit areas are approved. A dozen more communities across Oxfordshire have had their applications to bring in 20-mile-an-hour limits approved by Oxfordshire County Council. The schemes have now been approved for Lynham, Upper Hayford, Tackley, Ramsden, Minster Lovell, Milton near Abingdon, Leafield North, Newington, Enston, Caversfield, Ashbury and Finstock. The council claims to have been inundated with requests for 20 mile an hour zones since it launched a scheme in February 2022. Parishes around the county had until the end of last month to submit their applications for 20 mile an hour zones in their respective areas, with town and parish councils expected to fund any traffic coming measures that may be required to support the new limit in their areas. There have been concerns raised that some new 20 mile an hour zones have little support in the communities concerned, with only a handful of local people calling for their introduction, and many more opposing them. Councillor Andrew Gant, Oxfordshire County Council's Cabinet Member for Transport Management, said, There is a clear link between the speed of traffic and the likelihood of accidents happening in which people are killed or injured. This intelligent, lovely son died after depression. An intelligent and lovely son died this year having made two previous attempts on his own life, an inquest was told. Oxford Coroner's Court heard from Assistant Coroner Joanna Coleman on Thursday afternoon that 28-year-old Sean Summersby of Farmington Drive in Whitney died on April the 17th in a drug-related death. Mr Summersby, who had a history of personality disorder and depression, felt let down and amidst his mental health issues. A statement from his father, Colin Summersby, read out at the coroner's court, suggested that the separation of his parents at the ages of 11 and 12 was a cause of the mental health problems. The statement added, He was my son and I loved and supported him with everything. The court heard that his son was found dead on February the 24th, 2022, and had made numerous pleas for help that year. He had called police on June the 10th that year, crying and saying he was going to end his life. Police had entered his property on March the 19th this year after a third-party report that Mr Summersby was going to end his life, although all had seemed fine on arrival. Mr Summersby received care from NHS adult mental health teams in North Oxfordshire. Concerns were raised on occasions where Mr Summersby had missed appointments and on April 17th he was found unresponsive by two community mental health nurses who could see through the window of his back garden him sat on the sofa with head slumped. The court was told he had consumed both alcohol and drugs. Colin Summersby said in his statement, I do not believe my son intended to take his own life. The coroner concluded that the death had not been suicide. 
Mr. Summersby's father described how problems had worsened when his son had started an apprenticeship at a Mercedes garage where there were unrealistic expectations from management. Though he had loved his job as a Waitrose delivery driver, the inquest heard that Mr. Summersby had also been impacted by his girlfriend of six months leaving him and led to develop a significant dependency on alcohol. Mr. Summersby said that his son was a hyperactive child who did everything at 100 miles an hour and who loved motocross, but that resulting financial struggles from single parenthood meant that his son had not been able to continue his passion. It was concluded that it was a drug-related death. The Samaritan's Helpline for 24-hour support is 116123. And now we have three pieces of brief news. The first, three arrests in one day for drug driving. Four drivers have been arrested for suspected driving under the influence of drugs in the space of one day. Traffic officers said the motorists were arrested in Whitney, Bicester and Oxford on Thursday last week. The drivers failed the roadside drug test. TVP Roads Policing also reported on Facebook that a fourth driver was arrested in Oxford after providing a positive drugs wipe for cannabis. The Rhodes Policing Officers also carried out a speed enforcement operation on the A41 in Bicester and issued six speeding tickets on Thursday morning, November the 16th. And now on to the second brief piece of news, which is headlined... COVID cases in hospitals in the county are decreasing. The number of patients with coronavirus under the care of two health trusts in hospital has decreased, new figures show. Oxford Health Trust cared for two patients as of Sunday, while Oxford University Hospitals, OUH, cared for 27 patients as of the same date. The hospital trust's figures were down from 42 on the same day the previous week, while the health trusts were in line with the same day of the previous week. Nationally, the number of hospital patients with COVID-19 has decreased by 35% in the last four weeks. Figures show that three new patients with COVID were admitted to hospital in Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust in the week to November 10th and 20 new patients at OUH. And finally, 600 coats donated. A charity campaign asking people to donate coats they no longer need to make a difference to the homeless and vulnerable during the winter has achieved spectacular results. Whitney Rotary Club's wrap-up collection of unwanted but usable coats collected over 670 coats in just one week. Last year, the campaign received just 70 donated items. Some coats have been offered to asylum seekers in Whitney and the remainder will be passed on to Emmaus Oxford for distribution among the homeless and needy. Another story about Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy Clarkson has agreed to sign a Megabucks New Deal with Amazon for three more series of Clarkson's Farm according to reports. Nothing is signed yet, 
However, the expectation is that a deal likely to be worth at least $250 million, like the previous one, will be announced when the third series starts streaming in March or April next year, said the Daily Mail. Friends of the presenter also told the newspaper they would not be surprised if, at 63, he decided to concentrate solely on Clarkson's farm, rather than continue to film the grand tour and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Clarkson's farm, which sees the presenter's attempts to run his diddly-squat farm near Chadlington, was an instant hit when it first aired in 2021. The second series, which started streaming in February, was Prime Video's most-watched original show in the UK. In October, Mr Clarkson confirmed that the filming of season three had officially concluded and he shared a snap with co-stars Caleb Cooper, Gerald and Charlie Ireland. Amazon Prime has not confirmed the exact release date for the third series, except to say it will be sometime in 2024. In February, Mr Clarkson said that his rough guess was that the show would return 18 months from then. Amazon said it would cut ties with Mr Clarkson over a newspaper column he wrote about the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, throwing future series of Clarkson's Farm and the Grand Tour into doubt. However, sources told the Daily Mail relation however sources told the Daily Mail relations have since improved and Amazon is in active talks with Mr Clarkson over season four of the farming documentary series, which is easily its best performing UK original. Mr Clarkson's partner Lisa Hogan, has also previously hinted that there may be season four. One fan of the show left a comment on her Instagram. And season four? Question mark. And the former model responded with a thumbs-up emoji. Mr Clarkson has recently admitted he contemplated putting Diddley Squat Farm in Chadlington on the market after a series of disasters. He admitted spending the week contemplating selling the farm after struggling with problems such as failed crops and adverse weather conditions, making it hard to turn over a profit. However, his latest book, Diddley Squat, Pigs Might Fly, came out last month and was an instant bestseller. Mr Clarkson held a book signing at his local bookshop, Jaff and Neil in Chipping Norton. He also filmed a final special of the Grand Tour in Botswana this summer 
with James May and Richard Hammond, and it is due to go out next year. Amazon Prime has been been contacted. Uh, Now we have three more short items, news in brief. Uh, The first one is here in Whitney, and the headline is Whitney set to sparkle at Christmas lights event. Get ready for your festive celebrations. Whitney Christmas lights switch on will take place on Friday in the Market Square. Festivities start around 4 p.m. with live music from the stage. Santa will arrive at 5 p.m. and the lights will go on at 6 p.m. Santa will be in his grotto until around 6.30 p.m. There will be food and drink stalls plus fairground rides until about 9 p.m. Jointly organised by the Whitney Rotary Club, Whitney Lions and Whitney Round Table and supported by the Whitney Town Council, the event attracts thousands of people to the town centre. Meanwhile, save the date for Whitney Christmas Market in Marriott's Walk Shopping Centre from December the 8th until December the 10th. And the second item is somewhat less festive and the headline is Jewellery Stolen from Car. A group of men made off with jewellery after targeting a parked car. The incident happened after a number of men approached a car that was parked on High Street in Burford at around 6pm on Sunday. The men removed a number of items of jewellery from the back of the car before making off in another vehicle. No one was injured during the incident. Investing Investigating Officer Detective Constable Paddy O'Grady said, We are appealing for anyone who witnessed this incident who has not already been spoken to to please come forward. So that's the news from Burford. And finally, we go over to Carterton, and the headline is Household Kitchen Fire. Firefighters tackled a kitchen fire in Carterton, preventing it spreading. Crews from Carterton and Bampton were called following reports of flames in the kitchen of a home on the Bryce Meadow estate in Bryce Norton. A spokesman said crew members doused the flames before the fire could cause any more damage. A public Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue Service post said, Thankfully, the property had working smoke alarms and everybody got out safely. With the festive period inching closer, we would like to remind everybody of the importance of having working smoke alarms. And now it's time for the editor's spot. And uh, on this day, the 23rd of November in 1990, the author Roald Dahl died at the John Radcliffe Hospital, aged 74. Dahl, one of the most popular children's authors ever, was born in Landaff near Cardiff in September 1916. And in April 1942, aged 25, he was posted to Washington to join the British Embassy as an assistant air attaché. In the United States, he became a spy, working in a division of MI6 alongside Ian Fleming, the creator of James Bond. Dahl later adapted Fleming's novel You Only Live Twice for the 1967 Bond film. In December 1960, while the family was living in New York, Dahl's four-month-old son Theo was hit by a taxi and suffered traumatic brain injury. As a result, Theo developed a medical condition called hydrocephalus, build-up of fluid on the brain. 
together with neurosurgeon Kenneth Till and toy maker Stanley Wade, who specialised in making special small hydraulic pumps that supplied fuel to model aeroplane engines, Dow designed a careful shunt used to drain excess fluid from the brain. The device has since been used in thousands of operations, <coughs> although Theo himself recovered from his accident and didn't require the valve. In November 1962, Dal's eldest daughter, Olivia, died from measles encephalitis, aged just seven. And in February 1965, his wife, actress Patricia Neal, suffered a series of strokes while filming in Los Angeles. The strokes left Patricia in a coma for three weeks, and after regaining consciousness, she was semi-paralysed and unable to speak. However, with Ronald's help, she learned to walk and talk again, and at the same time of her stroke, she was three months pregnant with their fifth child and fourth daughter, Lucy, who was born on the 4th of August. Now, despite all this adversity, um, Dal had a wicked sense of humour, and uh, it's easily portrayed in his rendition of the Little Red Riding Hood story, and it goes as follows. As soon as Wolf began to feel that he would like a decent meal, he went and knocked on Grandma's door. When Granda, Grandma opened it, she saw the sharp white teeth, the horrid grin, and Wolfie said, May I come in? Poor Grandmama was terrified. He's going to eat me up, she cried. And she was absolutely right. He ate her up in one big bite. But Grandmama was small and tough, and Wolfie wailed, That's not enough. I haven't yet begun to feel that I have had a decent meal. He ran around the kitchen yelping, I've got to have another helping. Then added with a frightful leer, I'm therefore going to wait right here till little Miss Red Riding Hood comes home from walking in the wood. He quickly put on Grandma's clothes. Of course, he hadn't eaten those. He dressed himself in coat and hat. He put on shoes, and after that, he even brushed and curled his hair, then sat himself in Grandma's chair. In came the little girl in red. She stopped, she stared, and then she said, What great big ears you have, Grandma. All the better to hear you with, the wolf replied. What great big eyes you have, Grandma, said Little Red Riding Hood. All the better to see you with, the wolf replied. He sat there watching her and smiled. He thought, I'm going to eat this child. Compared with his, her old Grandmama, she's going to taste like caviar. The little red, red, little red Riding Hood, but Grandmama, what a lovely great big furry coat you have on. That's wrong, cried Wolf. Have you forgot to tell me what big teeth I've got? Ah, well, no matter what you say, I'm going to eat you anyway. The small girl smiles. One eyelid flickers. She whips a pistol from her knickers. She aims it at the creature's head, and bang, 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 she shoots him dead. A few weeks later in the wood, I came across Miss Riding Hood. And what a change! No cloak of red, no silly hood upon her head. She said, hello, and do please note my lovely furry wolfskin coat. <laughs> Typical Roald Dahl, isn't it? <laughs> and now it's time to move on to notice board. 
Um, we've just got two things to say in the notice board this week. Firstly, that we don't have any birthdays listed for the coming week. And secondly, that we're currently working on a Christmas magazine which we hope to record on December the 11th and send out to you with the last programme of the year on December the 14th. Hopefully, despite our present postal service, you will get this in time for Christmas. And now we're sad to announce the following deaths. On the 3rd of November, Robert Underwill aged 86. On the 5th of November, Sarah Stonebridge. On the 8th of November, Jim Wallington, aged 89, of Milton and Witchwood. On the 12th of November, Pamela Edwards, aged 94, of Filkins. And finally, on the 14th of November, Brian Frederick Green, aged 89, of Whitney. And, of course, our sincere condolences to all friends and family of the deceased. And, finally, it's quiz time. And, firstly, we've got the answers to last week's quiz, which was all about the month of November. And, question one, there are two signs of the zodiac for people born in November. Can you name them both? Any ideas? Silence. Scorpio from the 23rd of October to the 21st of November and Sagittarius from the 22nd of November through to 21st of December. Secondly, there are two birthstones for November. What are these? And they are topaz and citrine. Thirdly, what is the birth flower associated with November? It's the chrysanthemum. <coughs> and fourthly, novem is Latin for nine. So why is the 11th month of the year November? The old Roman calendar started in March, making November the ninth month. It was changed to synchronise the calendar year with the lunar year, with January and February being added to the beginning of the year, so November then became the 11th month. And finally, which famous British author was born in November? Was it A, Ian Fleming, B, C.S. Lewis, C, Agatha Christie, or D, Charles Dark Dickens? And it was C.S. Lewis. Right, now, questions for... This week, uh, rather more mundane, I think. Question one. What was the title of the ABBA hit single which won the Eurovision Song Contest in 1974? Question two. Who wrote the musicals Annie Get Your Gun and Call Me Madam? Question three. In Greek mythology, what was the food of the gods? Question four. Which parliamentarian sits on the woolsack? And finally, question five. Who said, the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated? Answers next week. And now we move on to more news. An animal story now. 
pet charity gives Frank a new life. Frank, a four-year-old dog found covered in bruises and wounds and tied to a gate in a field, has now a loving life in a new home. The black lurcher was taken to Blue Cross's Animal Hospital in Grimsby, Lincolnshire for treatment before he was transferred to the charity's rehoming centre in Burford, where the team named him Frank. Vets found he had a catalogue of injuries, including a swollen head with several large wounds. He had several puncture wounds and bruises all over his body, along with several older wounds on his legs and tears in his mouth. He was also found to be blind in his right eye because of chronic trauma. Charlotte Hailstones, staff nurse at Blue Cross Animal Hospital in Grimsby, said, from my understanding, he was found semi-collapsed in a field in this condition. When he arrived in our care, he was extremely subdued and nervous when approached due to the pain and discomfort he was in. He was quiet in kennels and liked to gather his bedding into a pillow to sleep on. But with love and care from our teams, he soon started to come out of his shell and actively seek attention. He's such a very sweet, affectionate dog who enjoys lying on his bed, playing with his toys. She added, it's difficult to say how he got his injuries. He may have been beaten in his former home, but these breeds are often used for illegal organised dog fights or badger baiting, so the wounds could possibly have come from this type of activity. Sadly, we'll never know. All we know is that we wanted to find him a special someone who would give him the loving home he deserved. He was transferred to Burford, where his lovely nature meant the team were quickly able to find him a new home. Anushka Ashmead Bartlett, animal welfare assistant at Blue Cross Burford, said he loves to say hello to everyone and every dog he meets. Frank is an incredibly loving dog and despite everything he has been through, he takes no time at all to make friends with people. Every morning we are greeted with a wagging tail and a bouncy dog happy to see us. One of his favourite things to do at the centre was to go on a nice walk, play with his toys and curl up on his bed, of course getting lots of attention from us along the way. It was amazing to see Frank come out of his shell and become the gentle giant he is. New owner, Emma, said, I am so glad Frank has managed to come so far. He has been a fantastic addition to my home. Frank loves his new 15-year-old staffy sister, who he shares his toys with and likes to sit with at every opportunity. He enjoys running with some greyhound pals and acts as if he has lived in my home for his whole life. He loves to snuggle on the sofa and is such a quick learner, already starting to master recall and commands such as lie down. Given he has had such a rubbish start in life, the love he gives is second to none. And now we move on to a Blenheim Palace story, which is headlined Fairy Tale Extravaganza at the Palace. Blenheim Palace has launched its Christmas extravaganza with a spectacular outdoor illuminated trail, a reimagining of the story of Sleeping Beauty, and an artisan Christmas market. Heart-shaped arches glittering in the moonlight, glowing tunnels filled with stars, and an eight-metre sphere filled with more than 20,000 moving LEDs are just some of the new displays to see on the outdoor illuminated trail this year. 
visitors will also see the return of the dancing reflections in the colourful cascades and magical lakeside walk. There will even be a glimpse of Father Christmas along with festive street food in the east courtyard. Inside the palace, the story of Sleeping Beauty has been reimagined with a contemporary twist. Rooms have been transformed for the retelling of the classic fairy tale from the Great Hall's huge glistening Christmas tree to the candle-lit bedchamber where the lilac fairy watches over a sleeping aurora. Dominic Hare, Blenheim Palace CEO, said the trails are conceived and delivered with passion and imagination, providing a unique moment in time for visitors. Poetry Festival is to return to town. A poetry festival hosted by an independent bookshop is set to return after a four-year hiatus. The Woodstock Poetry Festival was launched by the Woodstock Bookshop in 2011 and ran consecutively for eight years. The festival will take place over the weekend of December the 1st to December the 3rd at various sites around Woodstock, including St Mary Magdalene Church, Woodstock Town Hall and a final event at the Woodstock Social Club. The festival will be hosting local, national and international names from the world of contemporary poetry, including Ishian Hutchinson, Nancy Campbell and Joe Clement. Mr Hutchinson, following his shortlisting for the T.S. Eliot Prize, will be flying in from New York, where he teaches at Cornell University. Alongside the poetry readings, there will also be a selection of talks and live discussions. Michael Stewart, poet, novelist and creator of the Bronte Stones project, will be doing both at the same event. Laura Walker and Alexander Olt will be discussing their British Library book, Poems in Progress, Drafts from Master Poets. They both are lead curators for the British Library's treasure trove of manuscripts and will be in conversation with Chris McCabe, poet, editor and national poetry librarian. Damien Labar will be in conversation with Ms Clement on how their Romany heritage has shaped their writing. The successful podcast, Backlisted, will be recording an episode on the Saturday night with Neil Astley of Bloodaxe Books and the poet McGillivray to discuss Basil Bunting's Brig Flats. Sunday will see Jenny Lewis hosting an open mic night, followed by musicians Nick and Judith Hooper seeing out the weekend with a performance on stage. The Woodstock Bookshop, which is located on Oxford Street, was opened in May 2008 by Rachel Phipps. 
Ms Phipps announced in January 2020 that she was looking to find new owners for her popular store. The store was bought by Oxford University professor Hagen Bailey in January 2022. The store was on the regional shortlist for Independent Bookshop of the Year in 2009, 2013 and 2017 and is listed in the Independent Top 50 UK Bookshops. The bookshop continues to host regular literary events from Simon Parker's Tales of Cycling Through Lockdown Britain to Alexander McCall Smith charming his fans. In recent weeks, there has also been an unexpected visit and signing from legendary actor Sir Patrick Stewart. And now what you've been waiting for, some celebrity news. We're all familiar with the work of the pop sensation Dua Lipa. And this is a small piece about uh, where she likes to spend some of her free time. And it is here in Oxfordshire. And the headline is, Dua Lipa relaxes at new celebrity hangout. Dua Lipa has shared selfies of her recent stay at the Cotswolds' newest celebrity hangout. Hank's House, which is described as, quote, a membership-free swanky staycation home the A-list can't get enough of, unquote, was set up by owner James Bennett because he could not get a booking at nearby Soho Farmhouse. Mr. Bennett, a 40-year-old bricklayer turned financial advisor who lives in London's Notting Hill, bought the small rundown house in Chipping Norton as a holiday home in 2018. The, quote, Airbnb for the super-rich has a dark green tiled porch, a mosaic doormat that reads Hank's house, and a leopard print staircase, grand piano and golden chandeliers. It also has seven individually themed bedrooms, six bathrooms, not seven, curiously enough, a cinema, a bar hidden behind a bookcase, a gym, massage room and sauna and a turquoise outdoor pool. Mr. Bennett added a recording studio, which has been visited by Tom Grennan and Tiny Temper. The first celebrity guest was none other than David Hasselhoff. And the picture shows the beauteous Dua Lipa at some sort of red carpet event. Thunberg has killed love of cars, says Star. Jeremy Clarkson has taken a swipe at eco-warrior Greta Thunberg again. Writing for the Sunday Times magazine about his love of cars and all the cars he has owned over the years, Mr Clarkson, who runs Diddley Squat Farm in Chadlington, bemoaned the fact that not so many young men are petrol heads these days. The 63-year-old former Top Gear presenter wrote, When it comes to losing interest in cars, I'm not alone. Young people, and especially young men, have always loved cars. But today, that love seems to be on the wane. Many don't even bother to get a license, <clears throat> saying they'd rather use Uber and that coaches have free Wi-Fi.
While contemplating the way young men are falling out of love with motoring, Mr Clarkson, whose Clarkson's Farm documentary series on Amazon has been a huge success, takes his latest swipe at the young environmentalist Greta Thunberg. He added, it adds... It takes more than one snot-nosed Swedish kid to end our century-old love affair with the car. Unless she is being actively aided and abetted by the car industry herself. And she is. It's not the first time Mr Clarkson has criticised Ms Thunberg. In 2019, he told The Sun, Everyone I know under 25 isn't the slightest bit interested in cars. Greta Thunberg has killed the car show. They're taught at school before they say mummy and daddy that cars are evil and it's in their heads. He had previously labelled Ms Thunberg a spoiled brat who should go back to school. And now moving away from diddly squat, we move on to magical nature reserves. As the nights draw in and autumn turns to winter, the natural world around us takes on a new complexion. Trees shed their leaves to become skeletal sentinels over the landscape. Butterflies, bees and flowers disappear, and babbling brooks become freezing streams. But new types of wildlife also appear in the transformed landscape, visiting winter birds, foraging foxes, fascinating fungi, and nature reserves become magical places for different reasons. Take our Cholsey Marsh Reserve on the banks of the Thames, near Wallingford. Centuries ago, this kind of boggy wetland used to be common across the country, the natural result of rivers and streams spilling their banks in flat lowland. As a result, countless species evolved to live in this habitat. Wading birds, aquatic mammals and insects hiding in the reeds. Sadly, marshes such as this are now scarce because of large-scale drainage for agriculture and development, which makes Cholsey Marsh even more special. This nature reserve is home to a wealth of plants, insects and birds that depend on the wet reed and sedge beds. It's a favoured roosting site for wagtails, corn and reed buntings, so look out for them gathering close to dusk. At the other end of the county, our Foxholes Nature Reserve, near Chipping Norton, offers a completely different type of habitat, but one that is also transformed by the season. This ancient woodland is famed for spectacular autumn colours and fabulous fungi. More than 200 species have been recorded here, including bolletes, rossulas, milk caps and false death cap. Look out for bright red beechwood, sycana, pointing out, poking out from the fallen beech leaves, and fly agaric, the classic red and white fairy tale toadstool, and the blue-grey oyster mushroom growing in tiers at the base of trees. Another woodland nature reserve that gets a second wind at the end of summer is our magical and mysterious hog and hollow hull wills, or even hollow hill woods, in the Chiltern Hills. These woods lie within the Chilterns' Beechwood Special Area of Conservation and the Chilterns' Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty. They are also part of the Hollow Hill and Pullings Hill Woods' Site of Special Scientific Interest. 
Beech trees dominate the woods, but there are also other species here, including oak, ash, field maple, birch, larch, and yew. In autumn, the beech leaves turn golden orange, and the shady woodland floor supports an amazing array of fungi. More than 150 species have been recorded on this reserve. Further south, our Hose Hill Lake Reserve is one of several lakes that form the Thiel Gravel Pits complex. These former extraction sites were flooded to form the lakes in the early 1980s, and they're all interconnected. At this time of the year, green-headed shoveler ducks from the north descend on the site, along with mottled brown widgeon and pretty lapwings, to make it their home for the winter. There might even be a few late dragonflies still zipping around. We saw some last week, and we've seen peregrine falcons at this site before as well. The one-mile path around the lake offers a gentle walk. Just watch out, as parts can get muddy in winter. Another flooded gravel pit, Loddon Nature Reserve, is a great site to look for wintering birds such as gadwall, tufted duck, and pochard. The shallows of the lake are perfect feeding areas for wetland birds, while its islands provide quiet spots where common terns and oyster catchers can breed safely away from predators such as foxes. Oget's Latin twist in New Look Cinderella. There's a Latin American twist to a traditional tale at the Theatre Chipping Norton this Christmas. Cinderella at Theatre Chipping Norton is the perfect panto for Disney's Encanto-loving families, as the fairy tale is reimagined with Latin American music and dance, plus panto staples, dames, sing-alongs, bad gags, and free sweeties. With a majority Latin cast. Cinderella is full of life, colour, and music, and non-stop silliness. John Terry, artistic director of Theatre Chipping Norton, and writer and director of Cinderella, said, "This production of Cinderella feels like a real exploration of what a panto can be in 2023. Outward-looking." Multicultural, channeling artistic excellence from a huge diversity of creative people into the folk form that is a pantomime. Actors, musicians, and theatre makers have come to Chipping Norton from at least ten countries across Europe and Latin America to create the production. Mr. Terry said. I have always found panto to be an incredibly generous and forgiving art form. It despises moderation, and thrives on giddy, open-hearted celebration. With this production, we hope to give all of the pantomime staples: dames, sing-along songs, throwaway sweets. And of course, lots of wonderfully bad gags—a new and exciting twist. In the small town of Santa Maria 
de las orejas de Soplillo, translated as Saint Maria with the sticky out ears, Cinderella dreams of a new life away from her chores and awful stepmother. Mr. Terry's interpretation carries a strong but optimistic environmental theme with Cinderella's fragile home in the rainforests of Latin America collapsing around her. It is also a tale of confused and secret identities with numerous characters pretending to be something other than what they are. Ultimately, our version shows authenticity, being who you really are to be the key to happiness, alongside preserving and treasuring the world in which we live, said Mr. Terry. The cast comprises Amy Medina from Archie ITV, Big Bad Mood, Jordan Stevens' music video, A Cinderella, and Renan Teodoro, Otto in Sin, a new musical, The Other Palace, Anyone Can Whistle, Southwark, Southwark Playhouse, as Buttons. The music was written by Rebecca Applin and Elian Correa. The famous Chippy Panto, which has been a staple Christmas event for generations of Oxfordshire families, is now in its 51st year. Cinderella is on now until Sunday, January the 14th, 2024, at Theatre Chipping Norton, 2 Spring Street, Chipping Norton, OX. 75NL Tickets are available from £19 to £36 from chippingnortontheatre.com forward slash what's hyphen on forward slash Cinderella with no capital letters. Well, that's all we've got time for, so please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close that metal shield. And please remember to reverse the plastic address label on the pouch before you post it back to us, because to do so as soon as possible, we sometimes run out of labels and pouches, and then we're unable to continue our service to you. And don't don't forget that if you want to contact us, just put a note in your pouch and we'll get back to you. Now, it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight. And thanks to our technical expert, Graham Diakon, our copiers, who will be Byron Russell and Adam Lethbridge, who've been go- who are going to be copying the memory sticks, and to our volunteers, who've been checking the pouches and the memory sticks you've returned and keeping records in our register. And they were tonight Valerie Palmer and Lynn Harding. And finally, our four readers, Jenny, Byron, Marnie and Adam. And I know we'd all like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition, goodbye. TNF Soundings. 
features from across the UK. Now for a look at this week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, November 25th. And the Radio 4 drama is Pacoon, Ian Billings' 2019 adaptation of Spike Milligan's 1963 satire of The Division of Ireland. In 1924, the Boundary Commission is tasked with creating the new official division between Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic, and somehow the border ends up running through the small town of Pacoon. 3pm, Radio 4, Saturday afternoon. Opera on 3 is Donizetti's Zoreda de Granata. In the opera's Love Triangle, Claudia Boyle stars in the title role with Konu Kim, the wicked usurper king, Almazir, and Matteo Meza, the Moorish general, Abaname, as love rivals. Radio 3, 6.30pm. This week's The Infinite Monkey Cage. Brian Cox and Robin Ince look at how worried we should be about AI. 7.15, Radio 4, Saturday evening. Followed by a look back at more than 100 years of broadcast US presidential speeches. Cody Keenan, the former speechwriter for Barack Obama, delves into the stories behind some of the most well-known speeches and provides insights and anecdotes from his time in the Oval Office. Archive on 4, Speaking to the People, 8pm, Radio 4. And lastly, for Saturday, comes the penultimate episode of G.F. Newman's The Corrupted. Brian's day in court has backed fired and he faces another 10 years in jail. Radio 4, 9pm. Sunday, November 26th, and Lauren Laverne's castaway on Desert Island Discs is Dr Nicola Fox, Head of Science at NASA. 11.15, Radio 4. Drama on 4 is Han Siyin's semi-autobiographical novel, A Many Splendid Thing. Prior to this dramatisation in opening lines at 2.45, John York explores the subtle and nuanced themes of the 1952 novel, set at a pivotal moment in Hong Kong and China's history. The dramatisation A Many Splendid Thing follows at three. Suyin, a Eurasian doctor and writer in the late 1940s, meets a British war reporter Mark and embarks on a secret love affair. It's a new series of poetry pleas, in this first episode, Roger McGough is joined by Benjamin Zephaniah, who shares listen requests of John Clare, Shelley and Spike Milligan. Poetry, please. Radio 4, 4.30pm. Also on Sunday, Maria Callas is perhaps the ultimate operatic star. To mark the 100th anniversary of her birth, Radio 3's Words and Music features archive recordings of Callas herself talking about the sense of duty that came with her attitude to singing how she felt about those described as her enemies. Excerpts from operas by Verdi and Puccini, plus passengers from the new biography by Lindsay Spence. It's words of music, Maria Callas, and the power of singing, Radio 3, 5.30pm. Lastly, for Sunday, November 26th, Front Row comes from the Booker Prize ceremony in London to announce the winning novelist live on air. And Nazanin Zakari Ratcliffe is the keynote speaker. Radio 4, 9.30pm programmes that are broadcast each day at the same time, Monday to Friday. So same time, same radio station, all week, Monday to Friday. Book of the Week is Wasteland by Oliver Franklin Wallace, an eye-opening journey through the global waste industry from the mountainous landfills of New Delhi to Britain's overflowing sewers. Wasteland, 9.45 each weekday on Radio 4. Composer of the Week is Ned Roran, 1923 to 2022. 
an American composer who's been described as neo-romantic. He wrote more than 500 songs and in 1976 won the Pulitzer Prize. Radio 3, every day, 12 noon. Helen Lewis, in her series Great Wives, looks at what it takes to live with someone who changes the world. She starts by exploring the power of creative couples as she looks at the relationship of performance artists Abramovich and Yule, who seem inseparable until their greatest joint achievement, walking from the different ends of the Great Wall of China, succeeded in tearing them apart. Great Wives, 1.45 in the afternoon, all week, on Radio 4. And Book of Bedtime each week is Miss Bunsey's book, D.E. Stevenson's 1934 light romantic novel. As the Great Depression reaches a cosy English village, Barbara Bunsey finds an inventive way to supplement her meagre income. Book at Bedtime, all week, 10.45, Radio 4. To the rest of the week's highlights, Monday, November 27th. The drama, which is broadcast over the next three days, Monday to Wednesday, is entitled London Particular, the second series of Nick Perry's time-travelling drama series. Previously, Alice travelled back through time to London in 1945 as she searched for her brother Alan, who's been missing, presumed dead, for the past five years. Now she finds herself back in the present and is determined to continue her search. London Particular, 2.15, Radio 4, starts Monday, November 27th, through to Wednesday. Back to Monday, and Russell Davis chairs the last semi-final of Brain of Britain. Contestants from Bolton, Kent, Glasgow and Essex. Three o'clock, Radio 4. And borrowing levels have soared during the recent global crisis, and financier Mike O'Sullivan asks whether a reckoning is on the way. Have governments already accumulated so much debt they won't have the resources to handle the next big disaster? Waking up to world debt, 8pm, Radio 4. Tuesday, November 28th, Arthur Conan Doyle fans will enjoy four Sherlock Holmes dramatisations, starting on Tuesday and then going Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the same time. Carlita Hobbs is the great detective, and the first on Tuesday is a scandal in Bohemia. Sherlock Holmes, 11am or 4pm for the rest of this week on Radio 4 Extra. Back to Tuesday and the first final episode of Lady Killers with Lucy Worsley. It's the case of Hannah Mary Tabbs, an African-American woman in 1880s Philadelphia who was arrested after the discovery of her lover's headless torso. 3.30 on Tuesday on Radio 4. Radio 3 in concert comes from London's Queen Elizabeth Hall and features the Shinecki Orchestra in the world premiere of the first ever symphony by singer-songwriter Joan Armour Trading, also with works by Tchaikovsky. 7.30pm, Radio 3. It's predicted the state-of-the-art artificial intelligence will perform many tasks now done by humans in the future, but are criminals and bad actors already ahead of the curve? AI is already being used to commit fraud and other crimes by generating fake videos and audio. File on 4 investigates artificial intelligence and crime, an emerging threat. Radio 4, Tuesday night, 8pm. It's followed. In touch, Peter White, 8.40 on Radio 4. Wednesday, November 29th, and the first of the Wreath Lectures, as Ben Ansell, Professor of Comparative Democratic Institutions, delivers a series of lectures entitled Our Democratic Future. He begins by examining the current state of democracies around the world and their resilience towards the challenges of artificial intelligence. Radio 4 for this on Wednesday, 9am. Rome's greatest medic, Galen, was the team doctor to the gladiators of Pergamon. His work gave him unrivalled insight into the workings of the human body. 
knowledge he would use to write textbooks that would guide doctors for hundreds of years. Mary Beard traces his career, including the great fire of Rome threatening to wipe out his life's work. Being Roman, with Mary Beard, 11.30 on Wednesday, on Radio 4. They say practice makes perfect, but is perfection what we should really be aiming for? Sideways looks at what happens when we embrace mediocrity instead, in this story of how one small group of average singers made a big impact. Radio 4 for Sideways, 4pm on Wednesday. Thursday, November 30th, and each week Greg Foote examines the so-called wonder products making bold claims. In this episode he looks at what would be the best Christmas tree to buy. Sliced bread, just after 12.30, on Radio 4 on Thursday. The third and final series of Matthew Broughton's crime thriller starts this week. After killing Ronnie Vaz and being publicly attacked by Blue Rider, Jess and Dan head out of the city to try and find a keeper low profile. But staying out of trouble isn't easy. Broken Colours is on Radio 4 at 2.15. The Rewild London Fund was launched by Mayor Sadiq Khan to help make the city a leader in urban rewilding. Wildlife biologist and filmmaker Dan O'Neill goes to Paradise Fields in Ealing to see how a family of beavers have been introduced into the wild in the hope they will transform an urban wasteland into a wildlife haven. Open country, worth listening to, Radio 4 at 3 o'clock on Thursday. And in the second episode of Million Dollar Lover, Sue Mitchell continues the true story of her Californian neighbour, a millionaire widow, who fell for a homeless ex-con. Carolyn's daughters think dementia is the only thing that can explain their mother's obsession. Million Dollar Lover, Radio 4, 8.30pm, Thursday. Finally, Friday, December 1st. A second series of the fantasy horror English Rose by Helen Cross starts as Rose has made a fresh start in the City of Angels and life feels good, but she can't ignore the past and it's starting to bite. The first episode of English Rose, 2.15, Friday, Radio 4. Biographers Nicholas Murray and Alastair McGrath examine the events that shaped the lives of authors C.S. Lewis and Aldous Huxley, who both died on November 22, 1963, the same day as John F. Kennedy. They contrast their lives through the prison of two world wars, the rise of fascism and post-war consumerism. Brave New World is on at 8pm on Radio 4 Extra. And lastly, for this week and Friday, December 1st, Archive on 4, Knock Knock, 200 Years of Sound Effects. Composer Sarah Anglis looks back over the history of sound effects and the real impact they can have on our everyday lives. Radio 4, 9pm. That's it for this week. Thank you so much to Angela for the highlights. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. Now for the audio-described television programmes for the week starting Saturday the 25th and ending Friday the 1st of December 2023. Compiled by John and read by Lizzie. So let's start with Saturday. There's some bears in danger at the start of the hunting season in The Bear Family and Me on BBC Two at five past nine in the morning. Ainsley Harriet sees the sights on the island of Sardinia in today's Ainsley's Mediterranean Cookbook on ITV One at 11.40. 
Harry's school life continues, as does his battle against the Dark Lord in Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince on ITV One at five twenty. As it's the sixtieth anniversary, there are free special episodes of Doctor Who starting tonight on BBC One at six thirty with the Star Beast. The remaining dancers return to the Strictly Ballroom for this week's Strictly Come Dancing on BBC One at seven thirty. With alliances solidifying, one tribe reflects, while the other makes plans. In tonight's Survivor on BBC One at eight thirty p.m. Or would you rather follow the race to build the first supersonic airliner? The Anglo-French alliance, Russia and the USA, were all in the race, but only one group won. Concord, the race for supersonic, is on Channel Four at eight thirty. On to Sunday, the twenty-sixth, key politicians. And public figures are interviewed in Sunday with Laura Koonsberg at nine this morning on BBC One. Amanda and Alan tackle the bathrooms at eleven a.m. and bedrooms at eleven thirty in Amanda and Alan's Italian job on BBC One. How do animals survive in the extreme areas of the planet? That's what David Attenborough is looking at in Planet Earth Three, on BBC One at six twenty. Strictly Come Dancing: The Results is on BBC One at seven twenty. It's the final, and the woodworkers' big build is a kitchen island. That combines a daring design and practical use. Who will win the title in Handmade Britain's Best Woodworker on Channel Four at eight? Leah fights for Shelton, but has she left it too late? Find out in the penultimate part of Free Little Birds on ITV One at eight. Bill Bailey explores tunnels of a jail, and then travels to the Margaret River, where he finds a special Bill Bailey Shiraz. Bill Bailey's Australian adventure is on Channel Four at nine. In a bold move, Janet and Samuel sell their hoard to a local drug dealer, but Guy is hot on their tail. And Taylor is fixated on the town's inhabitants. Boat story is on BBC One at nine. In the final part of her journey, Liz explores the South American coast of the Caribbean, and helps release some yellow crown parrots and an osprey. Liz Bonin's Wild Caribbean is on BBC Two at nine. Now programs that are on at the same time and same channel each weekday. 
All the following programs are on BBC One. Claimed and shamed at ten forty-five. Homes under the hammer at eleven fifteen. Bargain hunt at twelve fifteen. Doctors at one forty-five, but not on Friday. Escape to the country at three p.m. Make it at market at four thirty. Now for other channels. Dickinson's Real Deal on ITV One at two p.m. Heartbeat. Two programs on at five fifty-five and six fifty-five p.m. on ITV Three. Great British Railway Journeys. On BBC Four at seven, but not on Friday. Winter walks on BBC Four at seven thirty, but only Monday to Wednesday. The soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. Looking now at Monday, the twenty seventh of November. Sarah Cox and her guests. Discuss their favorite books, "Falling Animals" by Sheila Armstrong, and "My Sister the Serial Killer" by Oyinkem Braithwaite. It's not audio described, but you should get a sense of their enjoyment. Between the Covers is on BBC Two at seven. The New York Subway System, the Ocean's Films. The Easter Rising, and the novels of Donna Tartt, all featured in the specialist rounds of Mastermind, on BBC Two at seven thirty. After five weeks, the remaining eight chefs are given the task of creating a scrumptious dish to showcase two of the world's most popular ingredients: salt and pepper. All is revealed in MasterChef: The Professionals on BBC One at eight. It's a race against time for Janet and Samuel when they try to complete an impossible task. Boat Story is on BBC One at nine. There's a new drama documentary about the rise to power of Julius Caesar. The first part looks. At his quest to become consul by bending the rules of the Republic, Julius Caesar: The Making of a Dictator is on BBC Two at nine. There's a new drama on four. Evie and Pete move into a quiet cul-de-sac. While unpacking, they get assistance from their eager-to-help new glamorous neighbors, Becca and Danny. A stolen glance between the boxes hints at what might ensue in this steamy, rompy thriller. The couple next door on Channel Four at nine. Will has finished Romeo and Juliet, but casting is a problem, with Burbage and Condal both wanting to play the lead roles. Kate wants to play Juliet, but Tudor law prevents this. Upstart Crow is on BBC Two at ten p.m. 
And now for Tuesday, the twenty-eighth. The semi-finals continue, with the chefs working in a two Michelin-starred restaurant, and then back in the MasterChef kitchen to deliver a two-course meal worthy of a place in the final. MasterChef, the professionals, at eight on BBC One. It's the final, and the bakers have to make the ultimate show-stopping celebration cake. Who will win the Great British Bake Off? Find out on Channel Four at eight p.m. Marcus and Emma visit the Maldives to rescue a turtle that's been caught in a fishing net. His damaged flipper has to be removed, and so he cannot be returned to the wild. The duo agree to rehome him in Plymouth. Secrets of the Aquarium is on BBC Two at eight. On a trip to the coast, the chemistry between Evie and Danny is undeniable, leaving Becca amused and Pete horrified. The couple next door continues on Channel Four at nine fifteen. If you had wondered what happened to Ken, well, it's on tonight. The Kinsella family is in danger, and Amanda tries to give Frank advice about the Viking. Ken on BBC One at ten fourteen. The next part in which Frank and Amon deal with stress in different ways is on at eleven thirty. On to Wednesday, the twenty ninth of November, a nineteen sixties record deck. A chair from King George the Sixth coronation, a codebreaker's leather case, and a toy clown, are all in need of help tonight in the repair shop, on BBC One at eight. Could you manage without a smartphone? Some of you will say yes, but there are lots of benefits for blind people, if only the Talking News app. Where you can listen to your local talking news, or even the talking news from a place you are thinking of visiting, Dr. Hannah Fry reveals the history of the smartphone in *The Secret Genius of Modern Life* on BBC Two at eight. A third choice at eight. What are the mysterious spots in the Southern Australian outback? The view from space asks the question, and cameras on the ground reveal they are burrows made by hairy-nosed wombats. Find out what else can be seen in Earth from Space on BBC Four at eight. Tosh uncovers evidence that challenges the official story of Akmal's death, and some fresh intelligence from the Met. Puts Bobby in a new light. Shetland continues on BBC One at nine. What is the relationship between the UK and China? Dispatches looks at this and examines allegations of the treatment of critics of China on British soil. Secrets and power, China and the UK. 
is on Channel Four at ten. Thursday, the thirtieth. The Bembridge crew race to save an old fishing trawler that's taking on water after becoming trapped by an underwater barrier, while the cow's crew search for a missing jet skier, saving lives at sea. On BBC Two at eight, the chefs travel to Staffordshire for a grueling lunch service with Tom Shepherd, then return to the Master Chef kitchen to create a main and dessert with the very best execution and flavors to ensure a place in the final. See how they get on in Master Chef the Professionals. On BBC One at eight, there's the final extra slice of Bake Off on Channel Four at eight. What was the madness of King George the Third? Lucy Worsley has access to newly released documents to help her understand the pressures on his life, like talking for nineteen hours at a stretch. And suffering the brutal array of remedies prescribed for him, and how an attempt on his life changed psychiatry forever. Lucy Worsley investigates is on BBC Two at nine. Sarah is rushed in after a car crash with serious head and chest injuries, and Simon comes in after falling off his bike. But after his condition deteriorates, he looks back on his life and thinks he wishes he'd done differently. Twenty-four hours in A and E on Channel Four at nine. Finally, to Friday the first of December, the sleuthing priest finds his position under threat after he clashes with an influential new parishioner. Father Brown is on BBC One at one forty-five p.m. Danny O'Carroll, Cheddar Gorgeous, Brendan Sheeran, and Jade Adams answer questions on ex-footballer Robbie Keane, mythical creatures of the British Isles, the Sagrada Church in Barcelona, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In Celebrity Mastermind on BBC One at eight, Lady Felicia's niece Bunting is suspected of murder in the labyrinth of the Minotaur. The first of tonight's Father Brown stories at eight p.m. In the second story about a death involving pagans, the Eve of Saint John is on at nine. Both these programs are on the Drama Channel. Is Sweden an attractive, safe place to visit? Well, it seems it has become one of the most lethal places in Europe for gun crime, with rival gangs competing for the drugs trade. Unreported World, Sweden, a gangster paradise, is on Channel Four at seven thirty. What impact is our diet having on the climate? Ardea Dapitan investigates the environmental cost of beef, 
which is the highest of any foodstuff. In the UK, it's around seven times that of chicken, even more when the beef is imported. Ade also meets a farmer who argues that British beef can be more sustainable. The big British beef battle on Channel Four at eight. Christine struggles to decide on the design of a new bathroom, which drives Beth and Eric up the wall. Meanwhile, Kathy and Michelle bond over a boozy lunch. Two doors down continues on BBC One at nine thirty. I hope you find something of interest this week. DNF Soundings.